Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben. If I haven't met you, um, we are, yeah, we're going to cover these 18 verses pretty, uh, uh, pretty fast, but I will say we're going to come back next week, and we're going to spend the next week looking at that prayer in depth. So I'm not going to get to go into that in depth today, but come back next week, and I'll be getting into that next week. Um, the message this morning is pretty simple, pretty simple to understand anyway, um, but harder to live out. You should have a little notes sheet. Um, when you came in, you should have gotten one of those, and that'll help you follow along with my three simple points. Um, what we learn when we study what Jesus taught is that it's actually possible to attend church, to pray, to give, to say that you're a Christian, to clean up your life to a certain degree, and, and actually still not be a Christian. 
That's what Jesus taught, that you can fool yourself, you can fool other people um, into thinking that because you do these things or say these things that you are a Christian when you're actually not. Um, And what Jesus is wanting to challenge us with in this passage, what he's challenging his audience with in this passage, is he's saying, look at your life, at the whole of your life, not only who you are in public, but especially look at who you are in private and examine it and see who you really are and see what you really believe. And that's what this message is going to be about. So pray with me one more time and we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, um, God, I pray for changed lives this morning. God, we don't want to just come here and go through the motions. It's too pretty of a day for that. Lord, we don't want to come here and listen and walk away unchanged. We don't want to just sing songs and it mean nothing. We don't want to pray and it mean nothing. We want an encounter with a living God. (laughs) That's what we're here for. So would you give us that? Would you give us an encounter with you today? And would you change our hearts and change our lives as a result of what you do in us? Speak through me, Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are a note taker, you've got your little outline, and point number one is there on your notes, and it's this, who, yeah, I got a notes fan, I like it, who you live to please determines how you live. Who you live to please determines how you live. My own story, let me tell you really quickly, is that I grew up um, in the church, and as a kid, when I was seven years old, I prayed a prayer. Um, I walked an aisle, and I was baptized. And my life didn't change. Um, I understood intellectually what the gospel was, who Jesus was on an intellectual level, um, but I didn't really know Jesus, and for 14 years thought I was a Christian. I went through the motions. And in public, I looked one way, but who I was secretly was different. And so this message, this message hits close to home for me. Um, so here's what, here's what Jesus is getting at to begin with. Who you live to please determines how you live. Here's what he says in the first two verses. Be, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Jesus refers to God as Father 18 times in the Sermon on the Mount. 18 times. And if you've been around church for a little while, then you're used to hearing that God is Father. But for the Israelites who were listening to this sermon, this was mind-blowing. Because no prophet, no teacher, no one in the Old Testament 
had used the name Father for God regularly. There are a few verses that mention that God is a father to Israel, but none of the prophets before regularly referred to God as Father. And here is Jesus, and he's saying, God is Father. And this is how we're to approach him. This is how we are to think of him if we are a believer. This doesn't mean that everyone is to think of him this way. Because we also have in John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus looking at the Pharisees saying, if God were your father, you would love me. And so he delineates. He's saying, not everyone's been adopted by this God. Not everyone can address him as father. If God were your father, you'd love me. So if you don't love Jesus, then you don't address him as father. So he says, this is how we're to think of him. This is how we are to pray to him as father. Then he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. Well, this is the default for our flesh. Now, I want to I point out that in this sermon, Jesus is not just saying either you are a hypocrite and you're not even a believer, you do things to please others, or you're a believer and you never do this. That's not what he's saying. Because he's, he's giving a warning to believers. He's saying, beware that you don't do this. We all, all of us who are sinful, not Jesus, but all of us, <laughs> we all tend to do this. We live our lives to fit in, to be accepted by a certain group, to please a certain people. And Jesus is saying, that's not right. That's not how you should live. There's one that you should live to please, and that's your Father. And so he's helping us. He's helping us to see that maybe, maybe we're in the camp of the hypocrite. We're actually not even a true believer. We'll get into that. Or we are a believer, and we need to be aware of this tendency in us. He's warning us, don't do this. This was how we're all wired. Why do we do this? He says, verse 2, that they may be praised by others. We ultimately do this to please ourselves. We, we, feel, we want to feel better about ourselves, right? And so, and so we live in a way that others will accept us, that others will approve of us. For me, when I was in the sixth grade, I lived so that the skateboarders would approve of me. And then by the time I'm in seventh grade, I was living so that my friends who played golf would accept me. And then by the time I was in eighth grade, I was living so that the basketball players would accept me. And then by the time I was in high school, I'm getting identity whiplash. And I'm, I don't know who I'm trying to fit in with and who I'm trying to please. Sometimes it was the party crowd and sometimes it was the athletes. And then sometimes it was Tiffany, who was a straight A student. And so I was trying to keep up with her so I could impress her, and it paid off. Let me just say, it paid off. Um, but we're all do, we all do this, right? We all try to please the crowd that we identify with. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd, and in this, in this 
culture, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they sort of determined what was the culture, what was seen as good. They would go and they would blow a trumpet before them, before they would give to the needy. Can you believe that? Can you imagine blowing a trumpet so that everybody could see you give? We don't need that anymore because we have social media, (laughs) right? Who uses a trumpet? Just post about it. Um, (laughs) I liked that joke. I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) Uh, so, So Jesus is saying that there are people who, who they're living hypocritically. They're they're living as though they love God on the outside, but it's not true of them. It's not true of them. They're living really to please people. So let me ask you, who is the crowd that you identify with that you are tempted to try and please? We all have one, right? Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's, maybe it's Christians. Maybe you want to please your Christian friends. And so your temptation is to, you know, read your Bible and go to church and pray and do the things for them so that they look at you and think, wow, they really got it together. They're really a good person. Or maybe you're, you identify more with the Burlington crowd. And the Burlington crowd has its own um, keepers of the virtuous path, just like Jesus' culture did, right? That identifies what righteousness looks like. And so if, you're, if that's your culture, then maybe you're tempted to fit in there with the right bumper stickers and the right signs and, the right, and voting for the right candidate and going to the right stores. Every culture creates these crazy rules, Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Every culture has them. Your workplace has the same thing. If you, your, your workplace has a culture, and you may be tempted to live a certain way and act a certain way when you're around your coworkers. Your friends, your circle of friends has a culture, and you may be tempted to live a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way when you're with them so that you'll be seen as good, as righteous. It's not the way that we're supposed to live. Jesus wants to set us free from this. I mean, this is bondage, guys. It's bondage. And Jesus is saying, look, you can be free from that. You don't have to live to please people. Don't, in fact, don't live that way. Instead, live to please your Father who is in heaven. Live for an audience of one. Fit his mold. Live to look like Him. And so, when we do that, we're living like like people of the kingdom. Remember, this is in the context of this Sermon on the Mount where he's, He's showing us the way of the kingdom. He's showing us what it looks like to live in the kingdom. 
Well, here's what it looks like. It looks like being the same person all the time. Not being one person in secret and another person in public. Not being one person at work and another person at home. One person online and another person when everyone's around. And so he says, when you give, do it in secret. So the only reward you can get is from your Father who sees in secret. When you pray, close the door. Don't tell people. Just go. Be alone with Him and trust that He hears you. When you fast, don't brag about it. Don't post about it. Do it so that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Who you live to please will determine how you live. Point number two. How you live in secret reveals what you really believe. We fool ourselves. We trick ourselves into thinking that we are the person that we actually want other people to think that we are. We, we think that we're that person. But who we are when no one can find out, that's the real us. Let's look at a few of these verses. Um, verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you fast, verse 17 and 18, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Christians live with a conviction that there is more to reality than what we see, right? That's, that's foundational to being a Christian. That's kind of like step one. We believe in an invisible God. Might sound crazy to people, but that's what we believe. We believe in a realm that exists that we can't see with our eyes. And those of us who've walked with Jesus long enough, that's not crazy, we know he's real. We have no question in our minds. We are convinced of things we cannot see, which is what faith is. And so, why do I say how you live in secret reveals what you really believe? Well, because, and I've been guilty of this, different seasons of my life, because if I'm living like, I, I believe that God is real. He exists. He's everywhere. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. You can't hide anything from God. I believe that intellectually. But then I'm living in this secret sin over here. Then what do I, what do I really believe? Like, if, if I'm a different person when I'm behind closed doors and no one can find out about it, then what am I really believing in that moment? 
I'm believing that God doesn't really exist. Or if he does exist, if he does, he can't see me. And if he can see me, he's not really who he says he is. That's what it shows when we are one person in public and a different person when we're watching movies. When we're one person in public and a different person when we're on social media. When we're one person in public and a different person when we're driving. Oh, I think I might have... See if I can find a soft spot. When we're one person with our family, but we're a different person in our thought life. When we're one person with our church, but we're a different person with our group of friends. We're showing what we really believe. Underneath every bit of our duplicitous behavior is unbelief. It's unbelief. And this is what causes hypocrisy. Matthew brings up this concept of hypocrisy more than any other writer in the Bible. In the book of Matthew, you will find this word, hypocrites, more times than you will find in all the rest of the scriptures combined. The word hypocrite is from a Greek word that meant an actor, a person who acts in a play. And back in Bible times, back in Jesus's day, actors, they, they acted from a stage with a mask on. They wore a mask. And so with this word hypocrite comes this idea of a person who's wearing a mask, a person who's hidden behind a mask. And so here's, here's back to something I was saying earlier. Here's the danger with hypocrisy. Hypocrites don't know they're hypocrites. So, so if you're sitting here and you're like, man, those hypocrites, that must be rough to be a hypocrite. Hold on. Hold up. Don't let me lose you. If you're struggling with hypocrisy, you probably don't actually know it. See, I think Judas thought he was one of the disciples. I think he really did. I don't think that Judas thought... I'm just putting on a show this whole time. I don't think that. The Bible says that the disciples, all of them, doesn't say Judas stayed home, were sent out to preach the gospel and cast out demons and heal the sick. And Judas was with them, preaching sermons, praying over people, worshiping with the disciples, hanging out with Jesus, laughing, cutting up, enjoying fellowship. And when nobody was around, he helped himself to the money bag just a little bit when he needed it. Besides that, I mean, he, he had this extra responsibility. Like, it's not that much. I know how much is there. It's fine because there's still plenty. So he was divided. And then... 
Do you think any of the disciples looked at him and thought like, that guy's a fake? No. Because on the night that he betrays Jesus, no one suspects him. No one suspects him. Except for Jesus, yeah. Good point. Except for Jesus. And here's the point. Until he betrays Jesus, everyone is fooled, and I think including him. And I think that the night that he betrayed Jesus, he saw himself for real for the first time. And that's why he hung himself. Hypocrisy is dangerous because it doesn't just deceive others. It deceives ourselves. We believe we're the person we're portraying. But who was the real Judas? It was the one who betrayed Jesus. That was the real Judas. And the real you is the person that you are when no one's looking. Now listen, that statement is heavy. And I don't say it to condemn, but this is the truth. This is the reality. We all struggle with hypocrisy to a certain degree. There are no people who have no hypocrisy in them except for one, and that was Jesus. However, however, if you live in hypocrisy perpetually, you live a divided life, you have a secret you that no one knows about nor can they know about it, then the chances are you don't really have a relationship with God. That's the message that Jesus preaches again and again. So that's different. That's, that's not the same thing as struggling with sin and confessing sin and bringing sin into the light. We all have struggles. We are all battling this to some degree or another. But I just feel led by the Spirit this morning just to say, I think somebody might need to be shaken out of their blindness. Somebody just might need to hear today that you are actually not saved. So, If you want to find out who you are, look at who you are in secret. What do you do when you're alone? If you want to know where you are in your growth and your spiritual maturity, look at your prayer life. That's the first place I would say is when I recognize that my prayer life is weak or barely existent, that's the first little indicator. I am am sliding into lukewarmness. And I need, to, I need to catch it quick. And so look at your prayer life. Look at your giving. Look at your fasting. Do you fast? Jesus says, when you fast. He's expecting that we'll do this. Fasting is something that we do out of hunger for God. 
When we say, I want you, God, more than I want to satisfy the desires of my own stomach. Look at who you are in secret, and that will tell you what you really believe. And here's my last point. Live for the ultimate reward. Live for the ultimate reward. In this passage, Jesus talks about rewards a lot, right? And here's the first thing I want to say about this. You might hear this talk about reward and you think, I thought that that wasn't good. I thought that we weren't supposed to want rewards. But actually, the Bible says we are supposed to want rewards from God, from the right place. There's a lie that says that if you want a reward for the thing that you're doing, then there's no virtue in it anymore. That robs it of any virtue. That's not what the Scriptures teach. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that faith must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. He rewards those who seek Him. That's what faith is. Well, this is, this, is what, this is what this is saying. First of all, you've got to believe that God is real, that He's everywhere present, that He does see everything that's done in secret. That's step one. But you've got to move beyond that or else what you have is no better than what the demons have. The demons believe that God exists. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth, who died on the cross, who was buried, and on the third day He rose from the grave. The demons believe that. But they don't get past that to the next part. And that he rewards those who seek him. That's Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to just dive into what it looks like to live a life of faith, read that, study that. Hebrews 11 and 12 on your own. Incredible. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us our definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying this is what a life looks like when you have a conviction of things not seen. So now we're understanding what a relationship with God looks like. It's belief that this invisible God He's real, he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. But what is the reward? What is the reward that he gives? Eternal life? Yes, amen. Let's look at Jesus to see, because Jesus completely fulfilled the will of the Father he prayed in secret, he gave in secret, he fasted in secret. So what did Jesus what was Jesus rewarded with? Well, Hebrews 1:9 says this of Jesus, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. The oil of gladness Jesus was rewarded with joy beyond his companions. 
Now listen, this is not incompatible with the fact that Jesus was the man of sorrows, that he was stricken, that he was rejected. Yes, and in spite of that, he had greater joy than any person who walked the planet. How do we know that? I'll give you a couple reasons. Number one, look at Psalm 1611. Let's put that slide up. It says this, in your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, what does that tell us? That there is no way to experience more joy than in the presence of God. You can't get more joy than fullness of joy. And you can't have it for longer than forevermore. Jesus, who walked and lived perfectly in the presence of the Father, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, experienced fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Still aren't convinced? This is what he says to his disciples in John 15, verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So what's he saying? He's saying, if you get my joy in you, you will have the most joy you can possibly contain. You cannot, you will not ever find a better source of joy than God himself. You will not find a better or more lasting or more sure place for joy than God himself. Try as we might to find it. In the next thing that we want to purchase, in the next relationship, in the next movie we watch, in the next weekend getaway, we're always looking for joy. But if we take God out of the equation, we will always fall short. God is the only one who can give us full joy forever. Amen. And Jesus is saying, this is how to live your life, is living for this reward. Pursue Him. Believe that it is better to pursue Him and get His reward than to pursue your own pleasures and to get your temporary reward here. Do you want to know that kind of joy? I do. Do you want to know the God that made you, that created you for Himself? Do you want to have the joy that Jesus had? Amen. Yes. So here's what I believe we're being instructed to do. Pursue him with all your heart, with all your might, when you are in secret, when you are in private, and, in, and also when you're in public. Pursue him with all your heart. Trust him. Look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of your faith, this is what Hebrews 12, 2 says, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. This was Jesus' motivation in all of life, all the way up to the cross. He was looking to the joy that was set before him. 
from his Father's presence. If you want to know Jesus this way, you can know him today. If you want to know Jesus in the way that I'm talking about, if you want to know the joy that he had, you can. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we cannot earn our way into God's favor. We cannot be good enough to be accepted by him. The Bible says that Jesus came. He lived the perfectly righteous life that we could never live. And then he went to the cross to pay the price, to pay the penalty for our sin, to absorb the wrath of God on himself on the cross. So that when when he died, he said, it is finished, paid in full. And then he was buried And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And he offers life to everyone who would believe in him. If you want that, then all you have to do is trust him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your spirit. God, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, for those who are struggling with a secret sin, a a part of their life that they've been hiding, I pray that they would bring it into the light with someone. God, I pray that they would turn away from that. Lord, and for all of us, to to whatever degree we are struggling with hypocrisy, we're we're living to, to please people in certain ways, God. Would you convict us of that? Help us to live for an audience of one. God, and would you grant us the reward of joy, great joy, full joy forevermore. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.